0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast episode. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Wednesday night, March 8th, 2023, as we record a new episode. Hopefully, You got a chance to stay up late on Tuesday night to watch Johan Mikada and Luis Robert Jr. play for Team Cuba against the Netherlands to start the World Baseball Classic. We'll talk about the WBC as it's underway, highlight upcoming watch parties that we'll be hosting along with our friends from the 108 next week as well. But with the midweek episodes, we are catching up on the White Sox spring training action. A lot of it is good news. Some, like Dylan Cease, Not so good news. So let's get started. And joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, when it comes to spring training impressions, I think a great place to start. After so many of our listeners and followers at Sox Machine, they want to talk now about what's happening on the field and not so much what's happening off the field. And I can't blame them, especially with how well Oscar Colossus has been performing in spring training. We knew that he was the favorite to be the opening day right fielder pretty much because nobody else was available or is available based on the White Sox front office. At least he's performing at a level, Jim, that so far he's earning that role.
2: So far, yes. One strikeout. In all of spring training, you're talking about like 11 games, it looks like 24 plate appearances. Yes, 24 plate appearances because he only has one walk as well. But putting bat to ball, early on I was a little bit nervous that he seemed to be swinging Early and enthusiastically and maybe chasing a little bit, but it seems like he's tightened up a little bit, especially against lefties. Uh, you know, Using that approach that I've liked in terms of just you know, keeping that front shoulder closed, content to go the opposite field against a tough lefty. I don't necessarily like opposite field approaches um, when trying to do damage, but if you're on the defensive, if you're... Hit- in an unfavorable count against the left-handed pitcher and the left-handed hitter, sure. Adjust that swing, um, you know, kind of kind of shrink it down, have better plate coverage, like what I'm seeing so far. What's interesting is that Pedro Griffal has shifted the focus a little bit for Colas in terms of saying, well, you're hitting, that's fine, but what about the other stuff? And that's kind of interesting to me. In terms of uh I'm not sure, you know, given that we're new to Griffal and given that he's really doesn't show a sense of humor so far. I would say that's one of his hallmarks. He's been very much a, you know, not not a hard ass, but also just very much about business uh, and doesn't feel like he can, you know, maybe that he just doesn't have that bone. <laughs> he doesn't have a funny bone and him. It's not going to be... Wanted to crack jokes and ease up and let his guard down, but right now he's basically really stressing uh, what he wants to stress about, like how the White Sox have to play. But he said something to the effect of, uh, "You're in the cages, doing everything you want to do and doing everything we're asking you there. That's great. Now, what about uh, in the field? What about uh, you know lining up behind a ball to get a good throw off? What about being able to know where to go with the ball? You know, what about eliminating you know, the extra base?" You know, he started stressing that. I'm not sure if that's a case where. He's saying, you know, you're hitting 391, but numbers alone won't save you. Uh, You're going to have to do everything right. And maybe that's also a case where, like, it's a message not entirely about Colas, about the other outfielders as well. Like, this applies to Gavin Cheats. This applies to Eloy Jimenez. Uh, that they're also going to have to maintain the same kind of discipline in the field as well to make sure that they're not getting lazy or, or slacking off in terms of uh, how they catch the ball, how they prepare to throw the ball, uh, where they throw the ball to. But I thought that was, uh, you know, that's something else I'm going to be watching because I've been paying so much attention to his plate appearances and uh, you don't necessarily see uh, with the Sox feed, uh, the, the, uh, the B roll packages after the game, you don't see like routine flyout to right field or medium degree of difficulty fly a ball to right field or single that dropped, but maybe shouldn't, but no runners are on base, so it didn't result in a hit that changed the game at all. Uh, We don't see those plays. So I think when these games are televised, uh, that's something like I'm going to pay attention to. And if the game's televised and I can't watch in real time, going back to the game log, seeing everything hit towards right field and seeing how he's handling it.
1: I also think it's good coaching by Pedro Gafal to keep Oscar Colas motivated. It is something... To make mention last year, it seemed like when Colossus was just destroying high A at Winston-Salem, there were some reports that he was getting frustrated that he hadn't been called up yet.
2: Yeah. He had like an Instagram post, right? Like something. or Right. Some, there yeah.
1: was a, it was like a week where he was angry about his situation being in Winston-Salem. And I think coming on and saying, hey, yeah, you're hitting, man, but you know we could see more power. Let's focus on that. Let's clean up defensively because this is the majors. You screw up and the ball hops off your glove, suddenly a single becomes a double, or the guy on the first is going to be all the way over to third base when they shouldn't be. So I like that type of coaching because this is a rookie. Keep them motivated. Just don't be satisfied that you're hitting close to 400. There's still some things that you need to iron out in the next couple of weeks at opening day. But what got me excited so on Tuesday, the White Sox faced the Milwaukee Brewers, and they were facing Corbin Burns. And I got a little bit excited with this game being televised and being streamed that we could watch this because what Corbin Burns is going to be one of the National League Young favorites, Jim. Mm -hmm. And while he's ramping up Burns is, and he's not at a hundred percent, he's not ready to go for opening day, but for this white Sox team to see Colossus and Andrew Vaughn face someone like Burns, how would they fare? And for Oscar Colossus, he drew a walk on a full count, and he laid off the sliders. Very tough sliders com- coming from Corbin Burns. I thought that was a great first plate appearance. His second plate appearance, he's down 0-2, and Burns is testing out his changeup, floats the changeup in the zone, and Colossus lines at the right field for a single. And I thought that was just, like, chef's kiss. Like, that was perfect, Oscar. Like, two really good plate appearances
2: against a National League Cy Young. Like, very impressive for a rookie. Kolas, at first at bat, too, like, he swung at one slider that was, like, one of, you know, Burns' good sliders. You know, thigh high, but, like, you know, starts on the inside corner and then darts in, and and a left-handed hitter is going to swing over the top of it. Like, perfect front door Really tight slider, well thrown. Right, Colas got fooled, but then like he didn't get fooled again, which I think is you know a key. It's like you can get fooled once, like he's a good pitcher, gonna have some ugly swings, but then like he saw it twice more, I believe, in that bat, and and didn't offer either time and didn't look close to offering. Like he might have flinched a little bit, but like in terms of like he, they weren't as good as that pitch, and he looked like he'd seen it before. So I like seeing that about him.
1: Yeah, if Colas was just getting all the success against the Double A. Pitchers that teams offered spring training, where he's getting all of his hits and productive at bats in the fifth and sixth inning of games, then I would be a little skeptical of a 391 batting average. But mm-hmm. when he's having these types of quality plate appearances, even at a National League Cy Young, who's maybe at 75 percent ramped up for Opening Day. I still think that's pretty impressive and we are seeing growth in spring training from Oscar Colas. Again, I think he is the one player that if he really hits the ground running on opening day, he could generate the most enthusiasm for White Sox fans getting back on the bandwagon and hoping for big things out of 2023 because he is mostly an unknown, but so far he has been impressive at spring training. Moving back over to Andrew Vaughn against Corbin Burns. We previewed the first base position. We talked a lot. I talked a lot about the struggles for Andrew Vaughn against the slider in his first two seasons. And Jim, with runners on second and third, Corbin Burns, 0-1, spins a slider, and it's dropping low and out of the zone. And man, it warmed my heart to see Andrew Vaughn poke that to left field. And he did such a good job dropping the barrel of the bat in the zone, barreling up that slider and he didn't hit it on the ground. He was able to get enough loft on it to line a single and drive in two runs. That's exactly what Andrew mm-hmm. Vaughn needs to do more of in 2023 because he's going to see that type of pitch more often, even on one and that made me really happy.
2: Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of that hit. The line drives going to left field or left center over the shortstops head into the left center power alley. A lot of singles so far, but also some lift. We don't we don't have the stat cast data, so we don't have the exit velocity, but they look pretty sharp. Even if they're, you know, off the end of the bat a little bit, they have enough life to, you know, clearly get there. So I think that's what we wanted to see because there was a James Feegan story from like a week or so ago, like the start of spring training, catching up with Andrew Vaughn and trying to figure out like what Vaughn wants to get from this season. And like, you know, we talked about it in his preview, like going from surviving to thriving. And he basically said, like, I rolled over the ball too much last year. Like, just had a hard time getting the ball in the air. And as we know from, you know, Vaughn and so many others, the opposite field power was not rewarded with the baseball. So pulling the ball, if you can, is really important to prioritize. And that's why I like seeing those uh, those line drives and fly balls going to left field because, it seemed like based on where he was drafted that he could do that and, and that, you know, he was the best bat in the draft, uh, both for, you know, when, when, when combining hit tool and power. And it's nice to see that that power does seem like it can be redirected towards the pole field now that the pole field is definitely uh, where the extra base hits are uh, with this baseball.
1: I wonder with his hands being held up higher because he's gone through a stance change. Mm-hmm. Andrew Vaughn, his first two seasons looked very crouched, looked very tight, like wound up in a ball. And he had this great flat swing, which is excellent against velocity and four seamers. And that's why he's put up tremendous numbers against the fastball. But anything breaking, I could see where his frustration lies is that he's topping that pitch and he's beating it into the ground. But with his hands up higher, I wonder if that type of mechanics change allows him to have a better undercut swing on the types of breaking pitches that are breaking low in the zone, because that type of hit against Corbin birds, it drove in two runs there. But when you got runners in scoring position as a right-handed hitter against the right-handed pitcher, you're going to see the nastiest breaking stuff because obviously the pitcher doesn't want to allow a run. Mm. So they're going to throw the nasty stuff that they got at you. And if Vaughn can consistently do this, Jim, in the regular season, that he goes for someone who's projected to drive in 80 RBIs, and if he could play more than 140 games, then I think it's realistic to where you said that you would take the over you're seeing like 90 RBIs. Maybe he's got a chance to drive in 100 RBIs because it's those types of hits to pick up those RBIs where you hit triple digits with your RBI total. It's it's not always the guys that hit 40, 50 home runs, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's how they get their 100 RBIs. Like If you're going to be a 30 home run, 100 RBI guy, you really need to succeed when you have a runner on second or even runner on second at third and be able to golf that single into the outfield. And that's that's what I want to see from Andrew Vaughn, and it warmed my heart again to see that from Vaughn in that outing against Corbin Burns. So I I know it's just one spring training game, folks, but mm-hmm. the way that Colossus and Vaughn played against Corbin Burns made me really happy.
2: Yeah, the question with Vaughn here, I guess, you know, if he's adjusting his hand position to uh, get the barrel lower on breaking balls, like, Will that cost him against fastballs or is it a matter of like he was over prioritizing the heat because like even with he he, I guess like he had the bat speed and like the understanding of uh, his timing with just getting uh, hands in place to where like, you know, you can do a little bit more with your swing than you're doing. So, yeah, I guess we'll find that out you know, month in the season or so, when we see start seeing the StatCast data, the pitch value data, uh, hot and cold zones, et cetera, to understand, like, is he giving something up? Uh, Because if he isn't, or if he isn't giving, he has ground to give with the fastball. Uh, And, uh, like, you know, say if he's, like, just, well, we won't use an official, like, run value number, but let's just say, like, he was a 9 out of 10 against fastballs uh, and, like, 2 out of 10 against sliders. If he's, like, 7 out of 10 against fastballs, but, like, 6 out of 10 against sliders... That's a trade off he takes. So that's, that's kind of what I'm hoping to see. Uh, But if he can somehow maintain that nine out of 10 and still like get to average against the sliders, that would certainly be uh, something the lineup could use as well. Absolutely. Uh, Elvis Andrews, he's ready
1: for opening day. Like you could just fast forward for him. He's ready for opening day. Just 11 at bats, folks, but he's six for 11. Four of the six hits have gone for extra bases. He's got two doubles, a triple, and a home run. He's walked twice. He's only struck out once. Jim, Elvis Andrews is ready for opening day. He he looks every bit of the hitter that we saw late last year with the White Sox in spring training.
2: Yeah, he almost looks angry. <laughs> like, he's got a smile on his face a lot when you watch him. Uh, like it, there, It's a case where, uh, you know, he doesn't... Nothing about his demeanor suggests anger, but the way he's hitting is like, you know... I couldn't get a job. You know, I couldn't get a shortstop job anywhere. Uh, you know, the Red Sox didn't want me. Uh, you know, you know, on and on and on. Like, he looks like he's he's motivated uh, and looks like kind of the way the he looked last year after the A's cut him. And that was unfair. And, you know, Nick Allen is not as good as Elvis Andrews. They just didn't want to pay him the money uh, for his option to vest. And, you know, that upset him. You know, or just he understood the game. But he also like, you know, that's, BS, yes. and, and that's fair to think that way when you you know when you're playing as well as anybody on the A's and you still don't get playing time or you get your playing time taken away so it is nice to see like that you know I guess if you need a motivation still there because the entire league looked at him and went meh. I can do without you. the <laughs> White Sox, he had to settle for a, a job on the other side of the infield for 3 million. And that could be a very good use of 3 million uh, with the way he's playing. And looking at like the strikeout tools, we mentioned, you know, that, that Vaughn hasn't really struck out. Andrews hasn't struck out. Colas hasn't struck out. It seems like Jake Berger is the only guy striking yeah. out. Like he's, you know, we've been paying attention to him and some of the power has been impressive, but also he's still swinging, missing a lot, has the contact issues. You look elsewhere in the lineup, you know, Yasmani Grandal has five uh, in, 15 plate appearances so that's kind of elevated but elsewhere like Sebi Zavale so I guess both catchers are doing it (laughs) but you know when you look at anybody with like a meaningful sample like nobody's really whiffing too much and so I'm curious if that's a a White Sox thing if that's like a pitch clock thing if that's a world baseball classic thing to where like a whole bunch of guys are getting uh reps that don't normally get them but I'm I'm encouraged by that because usually that's one of the things that carries over uh is you know and maybe there's not still a strong correlation, but walks and strikeouts, especially strikeouts uh, for guys who are on the fringe. Uh, improved contact usually has a little bit of meaning or at least is worth exploring in the regular season to see if that that's real. Whereas like a, you know, somebody hitting, you know, 430 around uh, an elevated strikeout rate does not mean a whole lot.
1: Yeah. Jake Berger's strikeout rate is 43 percent. If that doesn't go down. He's not making the opening day roster. It's
2: it's really situation. Yeah, no walks either. So no It's not like he's getting deep counts and uh is losing some 50-50 battles. They are it's it's pretty much all or nothing. Yeah.
1: So that's on the offensive side. Let's talk about the pitching. And for two starting pitchers, uh tale of two different stories here. Let's start with the good. Lance Lynn against the Milwaukee Brewers as he final tune-up before he joins Team USA. Lance Lynn looks strong. Four innings, two hits allowed, no runs allowed, one walk, five strikeouts, and 40-some pitches. You mentioned that Elvis Andrews is hitting angry. It looks like Lance Lynn is somewhat pitching angry. Uh, maybe angry at the way 2022 went for him because of dealing with the injury and really struggling after the injury, didn't really find his groove until it was pretty much too late for him and the White Sox last year. Lance Lynn's looking good.
2: Yeah. And the slider has a lot of movements like the. It does. Yeah, it's not the curveball, um, but it's a slider like, you know, there were some at bats against the Brewers where like, oh, they kept fouling pitches off foul, 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 uh, fastball cutter, two-seamer, all dinking him. And then, like, the slider came out, and that got the swing and miss he was looking for. So, uh, you know, when, when thinking about him and thinking about his approach, like, that's something where when he's had starts with the White Sox that haven't been great, or at least, you know, where it's a, where it's a battle all night, it tends to be because, like, the fastballs just keep getting fouled off, and then just uh, the the innings get long. And, and uh, that's when he kind of comes off the mound, uh, walking back to the dugout, like, perspiring quite a bit and and grumpy he's normally grumpy but just like the the amount of uh you know uh, exertion is is the only thing that's different between like him angry at the hitter for wasting his time and angry at a hitter for making him work too hard uh but the slider was nice to see especially since you know sliders usually don't move all that much or they can be elusive in you know arizona so like seeing that yes
1: and uh lance lynn's going to be starting for team usa monday night and we will be having a playback watch party and we'll be talking about our upcoming playback schedule for the watch parties during the world baseball classic but we will be hosting one monday night as lance lynn starts with team usa against canada can't wait for you guys to join us and be able to root on lance lynn maybe we'll be lucky and both lance lynn and tim anderson will be featured in that game we have to get to the bad news and I don't think it's like, oh my gosh, the world is ending news. It's a little concerning because it is by far and away the worst that Dylan Cease has ever looked since I have watched him pitch for any affiliate or his time with the White Sox. gym. zero to
2: two thirds innings, so just two outs. I just S- looked at the line. Like S- I, I, I had looked at the whole thing and looking at the box score. Now <laughs> I started laughing. Seven hits allowed. 11 earned runs allowed, four walks, no
1: strikeouts, and a grand slam. Every runner Dylan Cease allowed scored. (laughs) He allowed 11 runners. And the funny thing is that he only got like one out in the first inning. And Pedro Grafal pulled him. And brought in John Park to finish out the rest of the first inning. And then sent Cease back out in the second inning to get more work. And it didn't get any better for Dylan Cease. And we can laugh at it. It's spring training. The one thing that you're hoping for with Dylan Cease is make sure that he's not hurt. According to James Feagan, who was at the stadium, he said that the stadium gun topped out at 95 miles per hour for Dylan Cease. That is nowhere near where he usually is velocity wise and pitching coach, Ethan Katz did mention Jim before spring training started, that they're going to take it slower with Dylan sees getting ready for the season with just the taxing of the season that he had previously in 2022. They want to be mindful of the fact that they don't want to burn him out and possibly get him hurt with the workload that he had in 2022. And I think that's a sound strategy. He's got a couple more weeks left in spring training. He could take his time to get ready to go for the opening day start against the Houston Astros. But I think it's safe to say Dylan Cease is just not ready for opening day yet. And that's fine. And Mm -hmm. apparently (laughs) it really came out against Kansas City Wednesday night.
2: Yeah, I have to calculate that game score. Maybe I'll do that during the break. (laughs) Just exactly what it is. Uh, cause yeah, not even a strikeout. So you don't even get points for that. Uh, I will have to do that. So stay tuned, uh, to see what number that comes up with, but
1: how negative can you get in game score?
2: I think, you know, it's unlimited. I, I don't think it's like quarterback rating to where it goes to zero. Like, I think you can just keep going, but there's usually just a point where, you know, it's not like the, the 1890s anymore where just there's only one pitcher and he has to wear it for nine innings. It's a case where, like, uh, they pull him pretty quick, so uh, the damage is, is pretty minimal. But I will look that up in, or calculate myself since the box score does not have it yet. But, uh, yeah, 95 is concerning, not so much, like, in terms of, like, he's not going to get better. Um, cause Lucas Giolito, his velocity was down a little bit and he didn't sound too concerned. And, you know, maybe there isn't a reason to be concerned yet. Um, you know, I don't want to overreact. It's definitely a case where Ceele looks like every builds up strength and then see if there's that kind of late spring dip that people talk about the dead arm period. And then like, see if he gets it back by opening day, but it does, uh, paint a picture of like what Cease looks like right now. If he doesn't have his power. And, you know, we've seen the same thing with, like, Lucas Gigolito going from 94 to 92. Like, is a fine line he has to walk. Like, given that Cease is not really a command guy and that he does deal with an elevated walk rate, like, it does uh, uh, make it very clear, at least to me, like, that's my first reaction to this, is, like, we haven't really seen Cease pitch at, like, 95, and we probably don't want to, uh, given where he is in his, you know, control and, and, and his command. Right now, he kind of gets by with more hammer than chisel and uh he didn't have have the hammer tonight and so the the royals hammered him
1: one thing about dylan sees though when he has these types of bad outings that he is very cerebral he'll go into the film and see what he did wrong and he will take this personally i do not expect him to allow 11 base runners in his next outing and all of them to score I don't, I don't expect that yeah. from Dylan sees It's just, it's funny because it's spring training. It's early. He's trying to get ready for the season. Boy, ugly. It's by again, the worst that I've seen Dylan Cease at a white Sox uniform. And it's a good thing. It's March 8th and not like April 8th
2: or even like <laughs> March 25th. That would be uh bad, but you know, it's a case sure. where like, it reminds me of like the uh, Sam bagging a handicap, uh, like in bowling or golf, like <laughs> coming out with the first couple weeks, just, you know, you know, throwing you in the low hundreds and then all of a sudden you get like a 30 40 handicap to add to your pin total and all of a sudden like oh i'm good i'm secretly good uh (laughs) unfortunately there's no such uh product here to where like you know you can benefit from giving up 11 runs over two thirds of an inning 37.13 era so far so that'll take uh probably the rest of spring training to get to the um, single digits. I'm thinking, cause like he'll probably go four the next time. Uh, and then you're hoping for five. So yeah, he's got a, he's got some work to do to get that back under uh 10.
1: Yeah. I, I'm not worried about that, but you're right to get his ERA back to single digits. He's got some work to do on the handicap thing. Just a quick personal story. Last bowling league that I was part of, I got kicked out of it because they realized that I was, uh, Try to be a rainer in the, the bowling league, and I, I sandbagged when it was uh, figuring out your uh, handicap night, and I purposely rolled like a seventy-five and eighty, and <laughs> I ended up getting like a sixty-five. And next time I go out, I bowl like a one-eighty, and in the first game, and yeah, they reported me.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, you didn't. You didn't do it. There, there's there's a limit. If you can bowl one-eighty, you gotta be like one-fifty.
1: Yeah. I, uh, no, nope, I, I, I took it to the extreme.
2: <laughs>
1: and uh, oh, that was right when I was in a bowling league.
2: <laughs> yeah. You're like the Max Scherzer manipulating the pitch clock, like just absolutely violating the spirit of the rule and, uh, <laughs> making them have to like, you know, have like, uh, r- rule number five section AB, because they've already gone through the alphabet once doing all the, uh, various subsections of, uh, situations where the pitch clock can be violated because somebody just didn't want to play. Nice. That's yep. you.
1: Yeah. That was me. That was me. In that bowling league.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, but we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but coming up next, we're going to talk about the world baseball classic on the Sox machine podcast kick off the new year with new gear built to last our friends at shady rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades customizable snow glasses and much more shady rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair you've worn, durable frames, and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures, and that's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding in America. If you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. I actually have three pairs from Shady Rays because they just look awesome and I'm very picky about my sunglasses. Sometimes I like to match my sunglasses with my outfit. I could be that way. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE for 50% off two pairs of polarized sunglasses. Again, that's ShadyRays.com, promo code Sox machine. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Before we pivot the conversation to the World Baseball Classic, Jim has an update on Dylan Cease's game score. And what was the final calculation, Jim?
2: Well, you start with 40 points. <laughs> Let's go there uh, because that, that that's uh, what makes this alarming. Start with 40 points and you add two points for each out recorded. So he got two outs. So that's four points. So he tops out at 44 because he had no strikeouts. And then you start moving points. Uh, Two points for each walk allowed, so that's uh, minus eight. You remove two points for each hit allowed, that's seven, so that's 14. You remove three points uh, for each run allowed, uh, that's uh, 11, so (laughs) it's 33. (laughs) Then you remove six additional points for each homer allowed. He allowed uh, one homer, so that's six points. So he finished with negative (laughs) 17. And just for context, the worst game score in any start last year uh, was uh, Kohei Arihara for the Rangers who had negative thirteen over three innings. Uh, the worst starts by a White Sox pitcher was Dallas Keuchel. You remember the game where he allowed uh, ten runs in the first inning? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, back in April against Cleveland. Uh, yes, that got that was negative two. So <laughs> that Keuchel start negative two. Dylan Cease in his spring training start negative seventeen.
1: Yikes. So let's uh, let's hope that is the worst performance of 2023 for Dylan. Hopefully that's the worst performance in his career.
2: <laughs> Hopefully that's the worst performance like of any White Sox pitcher in 2023.
1: <laughs> All right. It's only spring training. That's the good news. All right. So let's talk about the World Baseball Classic as it's officially Getting started uh, in Taiwan, you got Pool A teams playing against one another, and Cuba and the Netherlands kicked it off. And the Netherlands won that game four to two. It was a entertaining game, especially if you stayed up for like the first half. Uh, a really tight game before the Netherlands scored. A, they put up a crooked number. They scored three runs in an inning late. And for for a White Sox fan watching Cuba, it was fun because you had Yohan Mikada and Luis Robert batting second and third in the lineup. Yohan Mikada was over three with the walk. Luis Robert struck out in his first three to plate appearances, but he did get a double. Uh, he was one for four. So not, not the greatest start. for Mm -hmm. the White Sox players in the World Baseball Classic, but still pretty cool to see because it's Cuba. This is the first time they're allowing major leaguers of Cuban descent to play internationally for Team Cuba. And it was cool to see Makata and Robert lined up for Cuba, Jim.
2: Yeah, uh, not cool to see the way Robert was swinging, but with him, uh, you know, we talk about like C struggling and, you know, some performances being scary. Him we know that there are going to be games like this. There could be series like this. There could even be weeks like this. So, you know, to me, it seems like I'd rather get out of your system. Like typically speaking, his talent emerges when he's healthy Uh, and the discipline there, there there's some ebbs, there's some flows, highs and lows. um, And he gets out of control at times. Then he just, it takes a a few painful games to rein it in. So hopefully uh, this is the case where you talk about cease having the worst of the season. Hopefully, uh, you know, I'm guessing it's not going to be the only time we see Robert strike out in three consecutive games or three consecutive uh, plate appearances. But, uh, hope you know, given the stakes, given that we're Cuban players and basically every player, but, you know, like Cuba is one of those countries that really use the World Baseball Classic as a measuring stick, given that some of these guys have, uh, you know, not played stateside, that uh, they're going to be using it as a proving ground, that, uh, you know, it should tighten up. Like, the stakes are high enough to where, like, uh, you know, there should be real regular season consequences felt, even if it doesn't count towards his regular season totals.
1: The Netherlands have a pretty strong infield. At third base, you got Adrellton Simmons. At shortstop, you got Xander Bogarts. I thought that was interesting, uh, as I thought Bogarts was going to play more. Well, the idea was maybe Bogarts playing more third base uh, if Manny Machado is going to be DHing for San Diego, but. Bogarts will be the starting shortstop for San Diego, and he's the starting shortstop for the Netherlands. Then you have Jonathan Scope, who is playing second base, and then you have Didi Gregorius playing first base for the Netherlands. That's a pretty, for the World Baseball Classic, that's a pretty good infield uh, from thir- first to third. That that makes the Netherlands pretty sneaky uh, coming out of this pool group for Pool A and uh, getting an opportunity to reach to the semifinals But the one player that really impressed me while watching the game is Yariel Rodriguez, who was the starting pitcher for Cuba. And he went four innings, allowed just three hits, one earned run, walked one, and he struck out six. And Jim, he is a reliever in the Japan League. And he has this upper 90s fastball and a wicked slider. And this is something that I did not know until I was watching the broadcast. And those on Twitter chimed in as well that I did not know that Cuba has a deal with the Japan league that Cubans can play in that league and then return to Cuba freely. Unlike the major leagues where you still have the embargo between the United States and Cuba. Uh, that they have to go through various means, eating passports, getting smuggled. The Mexican he yeah, has smuggled in by Mexican cartels into the Dominican Republic. Some really terrible things for Cuban ballplayers to reach the major leagues. I didn't know that deal existed between Japan and Cuba that they could freely play, and this is why someone like Ariel Rodriguez, when you watch him. It's like, man, you should be in the major leagues. Like you're 25 and you got this type of stuff. You look great. Like you just froze Xander Bogarts on a really nasty slider. The White Sox should pick up the phone and call you. Uh, But I didn't know this deal existed between the two countries.
2: Yeah, that's how uh, I knew about it, but only because like Oscar Colas, that's, you know, how he had his ability to play, you know, matriculate up the, uh, Japanese, uh, system, the, uh, npb system so like uh, i was aware of it but yeah seeing it recontextualized in the world baseball classic especially since we haven't seen it for years you know the um you know the, the pandemic getting in the way of having one so it's been since 2017 that we've seen uh these players cross back over uh from where they've whatever leagues they've been playing in to play for their countries and yeah that's that's definitely one of them to where uh you know the kind of players we're talking about uh wanting to prove themselves on the stage like yeah if you can throw high 90s and if you're good enough to you know we, we saw with kolos that the, the fact that you know he could he was only in the minors in japan but he worked his way up and got some at bats at the pro level at the end of the season and did okay there's talent there you know if, if you're good enough to play in japan they don't just take anybody you know i would say like taiwan that's a case where like yeah they'll take M- manny ramirez you know in his 40s to to get some drawing power and to get some just any kind of professional, um, sheen to it. But like, you know, and I think the, you know, the Korean league had the same thing until, you know, maybe five, six years ago to where like the, the standard play rose to where you know, they weren't just taking anybody. They, they really were, uh, starting to get some, some, uh, momentum in terms of just how the quality of players they're developing on the mainland. So it's, it's a case where the players Japan gets and the players who, uh, make their way at the minors are usually can, can ball pretty well. So with Oscar Colas
1: playing in Japan through this agreement for him to get posted and then sign with the white Sox, is the embargo still in place for him or did he find a loophole?
2: Yeah, I think he defected. So like he kind of left his contract and there was like a case where like there was a dispute over, um, you know, where he should have been uh, when it came to like, you know, level to where like he, and I think the pandemic also, um, uh, played a part in terms of like, did that count as a season or not on his contract? You know, when it came to years or seasons and then, yes. So then he defected from there.
1: Okay. Got it. Well, Yariel Rodriguez pitched really well. And with the, the other interesting thing too, is that if a pitcher throws more than 50 pitches in their appearance, they have a mandatory rest of four days preventing coaches especially for major league pitchers uh that not abusing them during the tournament if they throw more than i think it's 30 pitches they have to take at least a day off if they throw in back-to-back days they must take that third day off so i i like the the limits i i know it may complicate matters for the managers for these respective countries especially for some of the countries that are really thin on the pitching front uh but Yar- Yario Rodriguez, if you watch Cuba and if he gets another opportunity to start for Cuba. I highly recommend watching him because he was really impressive. And this is going to be a great opportunity to see even more talents around the world that we don't often get to see either through the minor leagues or through the major leagues. But I want to chime in real quick about our upcoming playback schedule. Again, we'll be hosting virtual watch parties for the World Baseball Classic along with our friends from the 108. It's going to start on Sunday night, March 12th, as USA takes on Mexico that's going to start at 9 p.m. Central Time. What's fascinating about this game is, well, two things. One, our friends Chirizzi and Beefloaf are super excited for this particular game. They are very much on Team Mexico for this game. So I cannot wait to see what they have in store for us when they turn on their web cameras for the virtual watch party, Jim. <laughs>
2: The caps look good. I'm a big fan of their caps. Yeah, the
1: caps do look good. I'm still waiting for my Tim Anderson jersey, so hopefully I'll have that in time. What's fascinating is that the game is sold out at Chase Field between USA and Mexico, and I think for the World Baseball Classic, if this is going to work, especially if you want to garner the attention of fans in the United States, you need to have these games sold out where it is a packed stadium for these types of contests to so, you could really feel the energy and the buzz while you're watching at home at TV if you can't make it to Arizona for the game. And I think that's a great way to start USA and Mexico, gym in a sold out crowd.
2: When it comes to just uh, people adopting the countries of their homelands or from their heritage, like, you know, with the, uh, I like when, you know, Vinnie Pasquantino goes to play for Italy or Harry Ford uh, goes to play for, you know, Great Britain, it, the ties might be, you know, Tenuous or maybe like distant, uh, but it's nice to see like just the effort being made. Like, especially, you know, Vinny Pasquantino, you know, like, you know, taking the nickname the Italian nightmare, uh, and then uh, you know, embracing that and and then trying to get some, you know, uh you know, just get some momentum going for baseball in Italy. Like, even if it's a case where it's largely American players doing the the work and the the ambassadorship. But yeah, it's that's what's nice to see, and especially when you get these um you know a case where it's like you know USA versus Mexico and the games in Arizona and so you have a lot of you know you know Hispanic people in that area that that want to root for Mexico and just like yeah, if that doesn't sell out <laughs> then it's a case where like you this is there's really no interest so yeah uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the crowds like yeah I know that a lot of people were uh, irritated with the horn in the field Mike uh, <laughs> the Cuban fan going off but like yeah I understand that just because it is a case where it's not it's not like the Oakland uh setup right. or it's not like the Dominican uh you know winter league setup of just the band the distant band uh, bringing noise throughout uh you yeah, know that's that's good color that's good uh atmosphere that should be uh celebrated but yeah perhaps it's a case of audio mix uh you know maybe not making that horn be as present as it was, but we should embrace, uh, whatever, uh, flavors people bring into it. Because when you watch the, uh, Dominican winter league or Venezuelan winter league, the, the, the Caribbean series games, and you see the, just the, the nonstop noise and the, and the chants and the songs, uh, that's what you want. And, and you shouldn't, uh, that shouldn't be, um, diminished just because the games in the States, like if you have, uh, you Dominican Republic playing the United States the United States bring the Dominican Republic sounds bring the celebrations I want to see that and, and that's a way to uh break down kind of the the stodginess of the American game which we've seen you know lessen with you know fits and starts and sometimes there are setbacks but ultimately it's just you're going to have to uh um you know when, when you have these uh culture I don't want to say clashes but when you have them meet uh that's when they start melting into each other is when you have it's in a series like this where you do have one country representing uh, its standards and you have another country representing its standards and you can't just say it's one player not playing the the right game it's it's their games and their meeting and that's fun to see.
1: The thing about the Cuba horn guy though one he had no rhythm whatsoever two he <laughs> sat right behind home plate and was just blaring it into the field mic like. I'm with you. I'm not trying to throw a wet blanket on the horn guy yeah. for Cuba. He needs more of an ensemble behind him because in Miami, yeah. when you're going to have Venezuela and Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico against the Dominican Republic, those countries facing each other, you're getting the full band. And then yeah. that's great to hear. Yeah. The Cuba Horn guy sounds like a five-year-old that stopped at Walmart and picked up a plastic trumpet and just blowing into it randomly. Like, yeah, not good.
2: Yeah, the people without rhythm—there are people in those bands that don't have rhythm, but they're drowned out. Uh You know, <laughs> they, it's it's a chorus, so uh, they can be uh, masked. But you know, it does sometimes take one person to get the ball rolling, and maybe he's the he's a one-man band right now, but maybe he'll. <laughs> You know, there will be an army uh, soon uh, coming behind him. Realize like, oh, I can help him out. I, Here's he, hoping he needs it. The A little fine bit further fo- away from the microphone too. <laughs>
1: the fine folks in Taiwan. Help, help him out. Help him out. He can't be the only one playing uh, the rest of the playback schedule. So we'll be on Sunday night, Monday night at 9 p.m. Central time. We'll have another watch party. Lance Lynn starts with Team USA against Canada. Tuesday night, we'll have another watch party at 9 p.m. Central Time. Mexico against Great Britain. That one, I'm curious just to see on how far along Great Britain is. I know that we have a lot of White Sox fans that live over in England to see, you know, what types of ball players they are developing. And then Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Central Time, the Dominican Republic against Puerto Rico in Miami. I am super hyped for that game. I, I cannot wait for that one. Uh, that's going to be a really fun watch party. So that's what you can look forward to. Sunday through Wednesday, we'll have a watch party for you guys. So you can join us and we'll provide our commentary during the broadcast as we watch the World Baseball Classic Games together. So let's talk about who we like to win it all. There are some teams, some countries that are absolutely stacked. The Dominican Republic roster, stacked. Team USA stacked. Japan stacked. Korea is really sneaky good with some of the players that they have. You mentioned the Netherlands, Jim, and their infield. We talked about them. Who do you like to win it all, Jim?
2: I'm rooting for the Netherlands just because I like the word honkball and I enjoy <laughs> seeing it. Enjoy uh just the idea of honk ball, honk, honk, honk. But I'm going to go USA. Like I like the roster. I like the pitching staff. Um, just home field advantage or home country advantage. Uh, just, you know, have a feeling. But I think that's when it comes to World Baseball Classic and being, uh, what, six years removed from the last one. And just like, yeah, there's, there's no sense of momentum in terms of like which countries are mm-hmm. getting good at this. So I kind of treat it as a blank slate. So I'll go to the default choice.
1: All right. So Jim likes team USA. I like Japan. I've got a feeling about team Japan this year and especially Roki Sasaki. Like, have you heard Mm -hmm. of him? I have not. Okay. Last year, he's the 21 year old Japanese pitcher that pitched back to back perfect games. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. And I heard that story. Supposedly he throws 101 miles per hour. Just go on YouTube And look up Roki Sasaki highlights and the stuff that he has, all the money, Jim. When he Mm -hmm. posts and he wants to pitch in the major leagues, whatever it takes. Like (laughs) his 101 mile per hour fastball is crazy good. His splitter is insane. And again, he's just 21 years old. So it may be a couple more years, but I think he's going to be the next phenom That makes a transition from Japan to the major leagues following the footsteps of Shohei Otani and all the other Japanese greats. And again, Japan, they got Roki Sasaki and they have Shohei Otani. I don't know how much he's going to pitch. And they also have Yu Darvish that's on this team. I I really like the pitching and we're going to see excellent hitters from the Nippon Baseball League. Uh, be part of the lineup as well, along with Shohei Otani. So that's why I'm going to go with Japan. I, I know they're the distant favorite. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are putting like third behind the Dominican Republican Team USA, but I, I like Japan to get into the finals and, and winning that matchup.
2: It has been fun watching Otani take uh, cuts in front of the home crowd, in front of the, you know, going back overseas and just, uh, you know, drawing the fans and like, I'm looking forward. And unfortunately this game, so I looked it up, just to see when it's going to be happening. It's at 5 a.m. Uh, yeah. Eastern time. So 4 a.m. Central, but like Korea versus Japan. Great game. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. At, in the Tokyo Dome, like that's when I want, you know, I, I can't imagine with a kid <laughs> that I can swing it. Like that's a case where I have to be, you know, uh, Awake enough to uh, to take care of somebody this time around. Like it's not like the pandemic. Watching uh, the KBO games at, at three in the morning just mm-hmm. because, like, oh, I may as well write about it and I can sleep during the morning. Like, nope, I don't have that uh, luxury anymore. So unfortunately, can't watch it live. But I'm looking forward to seeing. Like, if that was a good game, that's one where I will go back and watch the whole thing and you know maybe use the skip button here and there. But that that should be you know with the for the atmosphere talking about like with the uh, Caribbean teams. Uh, this is a case where like. That atmosphere should be just as charged and I'm here for it.
1: I would love to have a watch party for Japan and Korea. I don't think any of us are waking up (laughs) four in the morning.
2: (laughs) Poor Shane. Shane would be there.
1: (laughs) He would be there.
2: You would love it.
1: If I ask us, Hey, we're going to get Australia on. Hey, New Zealand almost qualified for the world baseball classic and they had an awesome cap. I was rooting for them to make it because Shane would have loved that. And, uh, shout out to you, Shane and AJ as well. Oh, yes. our, fr- our yep. friend in Australia. He's super pumped. Good luck to the Aussies in the the early stages. Somebody always surprises to to make it out of the early pool action to get into the quarterfinals and. It'll be fascinating to see and which team that is. So we are excited about the World Baseball Classic. We'll talk about it in the upcoming podcast as well, uh, along with the spring trading action that's going on. Because again, so many White Sox players are also involved in the World Baseball Classic. So we'll get an opportunity to see and how they're all faring during the tournament, and uh, it should be pretty exciting. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Again, thank you guys so much for listening and if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Sox Machine. I just posted up more 2023 Major League Baseball draft film of Virginia catcher Kyle Teal. And I also wrote a draft report on SoxMachine.com. So that's just an example of some of the video content that we'll post on our YouTube channel. So please subscribe And watch our videos there. And uh, if you are just subscribing to the Sox Machine podcast, you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple, Apple Music, and Spotify. If you enjoy your work and you would like more, you can help support us at patreon.com slash where our Patreon supporters, they get exclusive content, they get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and when we have new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. you are all for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.